Welcome to the Strange Harbors Podcast, a weekly discussion of film, television, and pop culture. My name is Jeff Zhang, and tonight I'm joined by... Amir Turing. And Derek Wong. So tonight we are talking about what is likely the last big surprise at the box office for 2023, Godzilla Minus One. This is the 33rd entry in the Toho Godzilla series and the fifth of its Reiwa era. Minus One is not to be confused with its current American counterparts, the WB and Legendary Studios Monsterverse. You know, 2014's Godzilla and Kong Skull Island, those movies, they are not the same. And this one has kind of taken the country by storm. This is the first time in history that two Japanese movies are in the top five of the American box office. Isn't that crazy? The top three, actually. This and The Boy and the Heron, I guess? Yeah, kind of fun to see. Yeah, very cool. So I will admit I'm not a huge Godzilla guy, and I probably wouldn't have seen this if it weren't for the word of mouth. I think this is one of the few cases where, like, for me at least, word of mouth really got to me, and I made a trip to the theater to go see this, and I am very glad I did. Uh, when did you guys see this one? I just saw this over the weekend. It was word of mouth as well. Well, it was word of mouth from you. I wouldn't have seen this, or Shin Godzilla, actually, because I did used to like Godzilla as a kid, but I haven't really kept up with it. They're goofy, fun movies if you're a kid, you know, but it was never something I felt compelled to go out and watch as an adult. And, you know, my understanding is that the franchise has had pretty mixed reviews, you know, in the last even, I don't know, 10 or even 20 years. So I've just never felt super compelled to keep up with it. But uh, I'm glad I caught these last couple. Are you talking about mainly the Japanese ones or like the American ones too? I guess I'm probably mostly talking about the American ones. But I mean, I don't know that the Japanese ones were exactly covering themselves with glory aside from the last couple of years yeah i don't think i've ever seen any of the japanese ones probably in full like i said i'm not a huge godzilla guy but i've seen bits and pieces here and there you know and then my main exposure to the godzilla films are the american ones even the 1998 disaster godzilla with matthew broderick <laughs> i remember that movie yeah i very much remember that one and i think most of us agree that the new Monsterverse ones from 2014 till now, the American ones are pretty mid. I think the last couple are not great. King of the Monsters and Godzilla vs. Kong. I think they have like their kitschy pleasures, but they're kind of not for me. I think a lot of people unironically enjoy them. King Kong and Godzilla duking it out. Now there's going to be a new one, Godzilla x Kong, coming out next year. Probably the best one of those is... Kong Skull Island. I actually have a soft spot for Kong Skull Island. I absolutely agree with you on that one. I actually do like that movie. I'm the same as you guys. To answer your question, I think I saw this last weekend. And I am the same as you, Jeff. I've never really been a fan of Godzilla. I think I've seen all of the American made movies. But like you said, nothing to kind of celebrate. And I think this is like a character that I don't fully understand, right? Because it does have this rich history. And I think this is the 37th movie that features Godzilla. That's a lot of movies. That's a lot of like, you know, history behind a character. And I don't think the American ones probably have done it justice enough to make me think that I understand this character or like why the Japanese culture like loves it. I didn't see Shin Godzilla before this. So this actually might have been my very first Japanese made Godzilla movie. Oh, wow. Interesting. 
So you're like not really familiar with Godzilla at all, really. No, I'm not. I'm admitting that. No, I'm not. Mm. Okay. I mean, I know the broad strokes of the mythology, and interestingly enough, like the American Godzilla movies, you know, there haven't been that many of them, but they kind of follow the arc of the Japanese films a little bit in, like, their flavor. You know, the first Godzilla, the 1954 one, I probably haven't actually even seen it in full, but the black and white 1954 one from what I recall, is actually a pretty serious monster movie parallel metaphor for the dawn of the nuclear age, which is definitely kind of what the 2014 one is like, a little more serious, a little more grounded. And then it quickly devolved into fighting giant monkeys and stuff, you know? People building mecha robots to fight Godzilla. Well, to be fair, the third movie... It's King Kong versus Godzilla in 1962. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Okay. So it's pretty parallel. It's pretty close. And there's a lot of them in there that, you know, I think unless you're like a a true head. I don't know if people are all big fans of like Godzilla versus Megalon, Godzilla versus Gigan, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Actually, that's one's probably pretty good. Um, <laughs> Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. Also, I think that one was a banger too. Godzilla versus Mothra. Godzilla versus Space Godzilla. There's a lot of verses in there. I don't know if they're all worth seeing. You know what I mean? I mean, you're kind of blowing my mind a little. I did not realize that. There were so many. I mean, I said there's 37 movies. I guess I didn't realize there was so many Godzilla versus this and Godzilla versus that. Yeah, and I think the continuity is pretty loose. I don't think there are that many that are just direct sequels to one another. And I think Godzilla himself, you know, flip-flops between giant force of disaster for the Japanese people and then, like... The next movie, he's like the protector of the citizens or whatever from another monster, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So that is a thing, right? Yes, that is a thing. I got that from the American ones, too, where now he's like the hero of those movies. But in the Japanese ones, I'm guessing it's like the ones you were saying, like him versus Mothra, him versus Ghidorah. I'm guessing he's the hero in those, correct? So the Godzilla movies are separated into eras. And this latest one, the Reiwa era, so I've seen both the live actions in that. So there's five movies in this era. Three are actually anime I haven't seen. And then the other two are 2016's Shin Godzilla and then this one, Godzilla Minus One. And before Minus One, I thought Shin Godzilla was like the best Godzilla movie ever made. And now I don't know about that anymore. I think I've been Minus One pilled, you know? <laughs> How are your theatrical experiences? Did you guys go to an IMAX or just a regular screening of this? Because this was playing in IMAX. I just saw this in a regular theater, but there was actually a decent number of people uh, in the theater for this. I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, mine was packed. I went to just a regular screening and mine wasn't packed, but it was still enjoyable experience to kind of watch this with other people. Yeah, my screening was packed. Although I was sitting next to like the most annoying guy of all time. I felt bad because he was, like, super into the movie, but it was really distracting. He was, like, leaning forward the whole time. He would, like, whisper Godzilla when Godzilla would come out. And then, like, <laughs> when he was, like, charging up his atomic breath, he'd be like, oh, atomic breath, you know? It was, like, it was really distracting. I'm glad you're into it, bro, but, like, just keep it down. Jeez. Oh, I went into that latest, and I know you don't like this, the latest Ghostbusters movie. Afterlife? 
Yeah, there was someone like that too. And it actually made my experience a little bit better because I was like, this person is enjoying this movie way more than I am. And I'm, <laughs> I'm glad this person is having a fun time. It was kind of infectious, right? It was a good experience. And then I came out of the theater, found out Henry Kissinger was dead. A complete anti-war experience in my book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, we've probably never seen anything from Takashi Yamazaki. I was prepared to say that, but that's actually not true. I've actually seen one of his animated movies a couple years ago, Lupin the Third, the first. Oh, cool. I'm not even into anime, but it's the Lupin the Third animated 3D movie. What made you see that? People were going off on it. That was word of mouth, too. They were just saying it's like a standalone movie, and it's animated beautifully, some of the best CG animation they've ever seen. And it's a blast. Really? That was worth seeing. Yeah, it's a blast. It was worth seeing. So I'm glad to see he put out another banger with Minus One. Well, it seems like he does a lot of these live-action anime conversions. I don't know what you call Adaptations. It. Adaptations, yeah. So he seems like he does a lot of these. And I always look kind of skeptically at those things. Like I feel like anime tends not to translate so well a lot of the time. He's a big uh, Steven Spielberg head. So I can definitely see like... Ooh, is he? Interesting. A little parallel to Steven Spielberg and like the types of movies he makes. You know, he does like Space Battleship Yamato, which is an anime series that he adapted into live action. And then also he made some Doraemon movies, which seemed like family friendly, which is also kind of like a Steven Spielberg type thing. Yeah. And then Lupin the Third, I guess it's kind of like... Tintin, maybe? I think maybe that's like a parallel that you can draw with Spielberg. It's really cool that he's done two films you like. I definitely haven't seen anything he's done. Yeah, I haven't seen anything else by him either. Yeah, I've only seen that one thing. The movie starts Ryonosuke Kamiki, Minami Hamabe, Yuki Yamada. I don't know any of these people. I'm not super well-versed in Japanese cinema. I'm glad that this is crossing over to the American theaters. Apparently Ryonosuke Kamiki, I guess he's done some voices in a lot of animation. Spirited Away, Kirku and the Sorceress, which was good, Howl's Moving Castle, he's done a couple of Miyazakis, he was a voice in one of the new Evangelions, 3.0 plus 1.0, so if you've watched anime, maybe you've heard his voice. Based on his age and then based on like his earliest credits, it seems like he was a child actor. I mean, like per Wikipedia, it's not like I know the guy, but apparently the story is that he was like really ill as a young child and... His mother like wanted a way to record or like celebrate his existence. They like, made him a child actor. It's kind of a cute story. He did a lot of child acting. Wow. Did you guys see any of the like other Shin movies besides Shin Godzilla, like Ultraman or Kamen Rider? No. Yeah, I've seen them all actually. Oh, you have. Oh, all right. Oh, okay. Very cool. Is Godzilla the best of the bunch of that? Godzilla's definitely the best of the bunch. Okay. Yeah. I still think Shin Godzilla is probably the best of the bunch, but they're all pretty good. So I didn't see Kamen Rider, but I do think I liked Godzilla more than Ultraman. And Minami Hamabe was in uh, Kamen Rider. Yeah, she was the female lead in Shin Kamen Rider. Right. Yeah, I mean, I had no idea what to expect walking into this movie, and... I came out of it, and it totally fucked up my top ten list. I gotta make room for it now. I really, <laughs> really liked Minus One a lot. I have to agree. I really liked it. And I was shocked, because people gave Shin Godzilla a similar level of praise to this one. And I think this one's, like, a lot better than Shin Godzilla. Like, Shin Godzilla was good, and I liked it, but this was, like, impressive. Like, this one, I got the hype. And yeah, I think this might have a home in the top ten. This was really, really good, like, unexpectedly. What do you think, Derek? Probably out of the three of us might like this movie the least. Boo! <laughs> Not to say that I didn't like it, but 
I think I was like you, Jeff. I heard a lot of buzz, a lot of people just loving this movie. And I came out of it really enjoying my time, but then still seeing a lot of the seams, I think, in like the story and the characters. I know there's a lot of praise around the CG, but even in the CG and like going in with high expectations maybe didn't help my experience with this movie. Overhyped. Maybe. Yeah. I don't want to say that, but maybe. Like I said, I still enjoyed my time. I really had a lot of fun. I do want to get into some of the details. I think even the, like the narrative around the movie is quite fascinating. and I think really worth discussion. I'll just leave it at that. I don't think I love it as much as you guys. What's the narrative around it? I think the biggest narrative around this movie is the budget, right? I mean, it's been reported as 15 million around a lot of outlets. But then like, I think recently, the director himself has kind of said, well, you know, there's no budget out there. A lot of people have kind of extrapolated his words as it's actually less than 15 million that they spent on this thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he says, I wish it was 15 million. So this discussion is interesting because there are definitely people who just come out and be like oh 15 million dollars that's nothing but there is the factoring of like exchange rates and how movies are made overseas and how it's different from american movies completely but there's definitely also like what aboutism you know like people are like you can't compare an american blockbuster to a japanese blockbuster when there's so many different variables that are completely different But even all things being equal, like, say this costs $200 million. This still looks better than 99% of American blockbusters for the cost of those, right? Like, compared to something like the Marvels, which we just covered, which costs $240 million, this movie blows that out of the water. Even if it did cost even remotely the same amount of money, which it didn't, right? And they're like, well... If you think the labor conditions in the United States are bad, wait till you get a load of how they treat the Japanese VFX workers. But, like, we treat our animators like shit, too, you know? So so we should at least get a good product for it. Yeah, at least get a good product for it. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so, yeah, there's a lot of unpacks right there, Jeff. I don't necessarily agree that this movie looks, per se, better than the Marvels. Like, I think it looks really good. Even this movie, like, you could see the seams when it comes to the CG. Like, the CG is definitely not perfect in this movie. You don't think this looks better than the Marvels, though? Come on, man. I think there are parts that look better than the Marvels, but there are some parts that look really rough in this, in my opinion. Some of the smoke effects, a lot of the times when Godzilla's, like, in the sunlight, it's not perfect. Oh, I didn't notice that at all. Especially when he's like in the sea. The lighting is off. It looks like he's floating in the screen at times. So I saw it. It really bothered me. But then you get into also this discussion of, yeah, I don't know how it correlates. Like, I don't know what quote unquote $15 million actually means. But, you know, I've read the same things as you, Jeff. There's the whole Japanese culture, like BSFX culture is really toxic. People are severely overworked, underpaid. So we've been experiencing some of those lately also with a lot of VFX artists uh, like Marvel or Disney have like really spoken up in the last like year or two. They're about to unionize. So. Yeah, exactly. And, and Japan isn't unionized, right? Like they don't mm, have a union yeah. for this stuff either. So it was very strange to me that all these media outlets were like praising this movie for how good it looked. I don't really see anywhere really mentioning or really trying to investigate the whole labor thing of this right 
it leaves a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth just because I can't really believe that this was really like $15 million. Well, it's such an easy aspect of the movie to sensationalize, right? Yeah. Like how little it costs. The outlets just want to run with that and yeah. get that splashy headline. Look how much this costs and look how great it looks compared to like the American blockbusters when there are nuances behind it. I do agree with that. But I still think this movie looks great. Yeah. Not seeing really where your complaints are coming from. Maybe I have to see it again, but Mm -hmm. I didn't really notice the seams that you were talking about that much. I think what I like the most about this movie is what most Godzilla movies are pretty bad at, which is the human element, the human element, and the big monster disaster element of this movie. They are so cohesive together, and I was just so impressed. Like, I got emotional in this movie. I was, like, tearing up at the end, you know? And I just haven't seen a big monster movie marry its spectacle with its human element quite as well as this in maybe ever. I really, really liked the human story in this. Yeah, I have to agree. I really, really like the human story. I agree it's semi-unique. Usually the human side of these Godzilla movies is pretty weak. Even if the humans are focused on, it's often like this. Like in Shin Godzilla's rapidly like Godzilla, shooting yeah. sequence of bureaucrats who you, you never really get to know them. There isn't really that human storyline there. Um, or even if it only focuses on a couple of key scientists or whatever, it, there usually isn't compelling story behind it the way there is for this one. So I totally agree. I think this one knocked the human element out of the park. And that's pretty unique. And I agree that I think the best part of this movie is the fact that they really try to focus on the human element. Like, and I kind of compare this to the 2014 Godzilla. Like, I think that really tries and doesn't succeed, you know, in the way this does. The whole Aaron Taylor Johnson, Brian Cranston dynamic and try to like make it this father-son story. And they really wanted us to care about that. And it was just yeah, okay. And I didn't. But in this one, I will agree that I like the human element. But interestingly enough, I don't think I was drawn in as much with the whole Noriko Koichi aspect of this, as surprisingly as that might sound. But I was really actually more drawn in to the narrative around the workers, right? Like the boatmates that leads into like this union of ex-military slash you know, civilians that are banding together to fight Godzilla, that was actually what worked better for me. Oh, that's really interesting. That is interesting. <laughs> for me, it was totally that whole found family thing. I mean, even from the very beginning, just uh, Shikishima's like, his cowardice, I thought was super interesting. It's this really cool thread that they hammer home multiple times, even in the first couple of minutes of the movie. And... Like, combining that with the found family thing, I was super hooked immediately and zeroed in on, like, those aspects of the character. I did like what you were talking about, Derek, but, like, it in no way took precedence for me over the family stuff. I'm with Amir on this. The mm-hmm. cowardly kamikaze fighter aspect is so interesting to me. It was so interesting that it had me worried. I was, like, really worried at the beginning of the movie, like, the first half. I was like, how are they going to end this? Because he's, like, a disgraced kamikaze pilot. You know what I mean? But I was glad they followed through on the anti-war themes of this movie, which I was really impressed by. And, you know, for Killers of the Flower Moon episode, Amir, you quoted Truffaut saying that there's no true anti-war movie. But, like, this kind of comes close. Yeah. I think it comes close. I think there's definitely aspects to it, which, you know, some people are calling it 
a fascist anti-fascist movie, which I don't agree with at all. But we'll get to that. This is such an effective anti-war movie, you know, painting dying for your country as completely senseless, and especially when your country orders you to do it, and following up through that theme in the end. I thought it was just very, very cohesive and very moving, actually. I think some people would call the ending maybe like a cop-out, but I think without that ending, and we'll get to that, but the movie just doesn't work. Yeah, I think they had to do it the way they did to follow through on the theme of the movie, so I don't think it's a cop-out at all. Yeah. Do we want to do a quick summary before we get even further into this? Yeah. So the story really follows Ryunosuke Kamiki's character, Koichi, who is a kamikaze fighter. The story really starts the tail end of World War II, right? Pretty much exactly at the end. He is a suicide bomber that basically abandoned his task, right? He kind of makes up a reason to land his plane to be inspected so that he doesn't have to kill himself. And the island that he lands on happens to also get attacked by a smaller version of Godzilla. He survives that encounter to then go back home where he lives in Tokyo to find that, you know, his city has been destroyed by the war and he's just really trying to rebuild his life. Some people have figured out that he abandoned his post and he really doesn't, you know, have anyone left after he comes back from the war because he finds out his parents died. Amir kind of alluded to it, starts this found family, right? He finds this girl who has a child who is not of her own. Child has lost her parents during the war and presumably this person has lost people during the war and they come together to form this family unit. This movie takes place over a couple years, right? I think the final encounter with Godzilla is in 19... 47 or 48 when you know world war ii ends in 45 and koichi finds a job with this group of well it's like a scientist and a boat captain and like a teenage kid who like goes out and basically tries to dig up mines out of the ocean and explode them so it won't hurt any of their fishermen and it's been a couple years but again they run into godzilla godzilla is come back and he is much bigger and he is there to terrorize tokyo there's a great scene in Ginza, part of the story where, like, you know, the government is trying to hide what's going on and push it to the side. And this band of ex military and civilians come together to try to defeat Godzilla. I agree with you guys that I think the human element is the best part in this movie. I do like that we do spend a lot of the time getting to know this found family. It's a clever way to not have Godzilla in the movie so much. I think some of my problems with some of the other Godzilla movies that I've seen is that they try to find reasons for Godzilla to not be on screen. And you're always kind of wondering, like, when is Godzilla coming back? I never really had that urge in this one. I was enjoying the found family stuff, but again, also the brotherly stuff that he has with his shipmates. I enjoyed all of that, and it made me not miss Godzilla as much in a Godzilla movie. That's why you have good human stories in your monster movies, right? Yeah. You want to build those human elements so that it's really not about the monster until, you know, he shows up. Like you said, you're not like, hey, I'm at a Godzilla movie. Where's Godzilla, right? Mm -hmm. And they build, I think, both of those quite well. I think everything just works together. Yeah. I mean, they start hammering home the theme from minute one, right? With the cowardice and his inability to, to like, do his duty and... Is it right to, you know, sacrifice your life for your country? And then when he goes back to Tokyo, post-war Tokyo is like a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Yeah. The whole place has just been destroyed by bombing. And, you know, you just see 
all the main characters have lost everyone they've cared about in the war. It's like fully insane, right? They're a found family because they've all lost everybody because war just tears families apart, right? So, I mean, they're hitting it from the very beginning, which I think is really important. And yeah, I think that that family relationship is just really, really sweet. And part of what makes it sweet or bittersweet later on is that even though they're living together essentially as mom, dad, and child, they're not actually in a romantic relationship or they're not married or anything. And that's essentially entirely due to uh, Koichi Shikishima, the main character, entirely due to his like inability to process his quote-unquote cowardice from the war. It's like his PTSD, right? He's got yeah, like a ton yeah. of survivor's guilt. You know, why am I like one of the only ones who survived? You know, was it my fault for not shooting at Godzilla back then? If I had, would everybody have lived on the island? So basically in the beginning, he's like a double coward. I was kind of laughing at yeah, that. Yeah, he was, yeah. He doesn't go through with the kamikaze attack. And then when he grounds his plane, Godzilla attacks the island and they're like, you need to man the gun on your plane to take out Godzilla. And he chickens out and he does it. And Godzilla kills everyone except for him. And what's the guy's name? Tachibana, yeah. So, yeah, the double coward thing is pretty crazy. He definitely feels like he has something to make up for to all of these dead people. And Tachibana doesn't help, right? Because he gives them like a, like a photo album of like all their dead comrades. To be like, this was your fault or whatever. It's super insane. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, he wakes up at night screaming and thinking, oh, did I die on that island? Am I just a ghost? Is my life with you and our adopted daughter all just like the dreams of a dead man? It's really like, you want to see PTSD? Like, they're doing it. They're like hitting the nail on the head with it, right? So I thought that was really, really well done. It's really interesting because on the island, one of the guys on the island kind of like excuses him not dying as a kamikaze. He's like, eh. What's the point of killing yourself for a cause we all know is doomed anyway? It's all good, man. You know what I mean? It's very interesting. But then when he chickens out on killing Godzilla, it's like, oh, no. Let's be honest. It's not going to do well, it. Well, he doesn't know I mean, that. I guess we you know. You don't know that though, right? That's the thing is like he doesn't know that he wouldn't have saved everybody. And so he's haunted by that, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And then Tachibana doesn't help with all the pictures. And so he's just this haunted guy. And he gets this job blowing up naval mines. And when his work buddies come by – they make a side comment about he and uh, Noriko, his partner, must be married. But he comes like, oh, no, we're not married. It's super awkward because like, it's so clear that they're living together as man and wife. And like his friends like directly take him to task for not marrying her. The saddest thing is when like the little girl's calling him dad. Yeah. And he says not to. And he's like, don't call me that. I'm not your dad. It's just like, holy shit. This is rough. This guy, I guess, has a lot of issues that he just can't get through at the moment, I guess. I mean, that's like one of the themes of the movie. Like, the bravest thing that you can do is live and not die for your country needlessly, right? And the whole anti-war theme is so strong in this movie, and it's said in a bunch of different ways, where I think this definitely has a one-up on Shin Godzilla. You know, I love Shin Godzilla. It's so fun with, like, its take on bureaucracy, but it's hitting the same drum over and over again. Right. And it does get in the way, like you said, Amir, of the human development of its characters, where, you know, the whole movie is about ineffectual bureaucrats. So, like, where can you get, like, a storyline like the one in Minus One? Right. And in Minus One, you know, the reason that Godzilla mutates is because of the U.S. testing nuclear weapons. I don't know if you caught that, but yes. it's because of their weapons testing at Bikini Atoll that yeah, it's after makes the war Godzilla is over. gigantic. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then Japan's like, hey, America, you gotta help us with this fucking giant lizard that's killing us. And they're like, oh, we don't want to fuck up our tensions with the Soviet Union. So they're like, we're not going to help you, you know? It says that message in a variety of ways, which I thought was really, really interesting. And It's very different from Shin Godzilla, where there's an explicit American-Japanese partnership. Yeah. But then also, America threatens to nuke Japan at the same time. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> very different dynamic. Admittedly, I mean, I guess we could talk about it now. I actually didn't really like Shin Godzilla. Ooh, interesting. Really? Interesting. You know, like, after watching... Minus one and then watching Shin, I was like, oh, this is an interesting take. This whole like bureaucratic, your government fails you because there's too much bureaucracy that gets in the way of fighting a giant monster that's killing thousands of people. But the novelty of that gets kind of old fast in my mind like i got it and then the movie just kept rolling with it and kept yeah, going with it I and kept don't going disagree. i like the movie more than you and i yeah. think i like it more than you do too amir but yeah it does hit the same beats over and over again but part of the reason why i like shin godzilla a lot is because of the creature design which i think has an edge over minus one because he's kind of like a freaky little guy and you don't really get that enough. That really fucking bot. That's... Wait, in Shin Godzilla? Yeah, man. You didn't like that? Oh, he's so cool. He's got like the little googly eyes and he's like squirming on the ground. Got the blood stuff coming out of his gills and he's got little cross-eyed beady eyes looking in different directions. He's such a weird little freak. You didn't like <laughs> he that? Looked derpy to me. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he just that's like... the point. I love I, yeah. derpy. I okay. love it. That didn't work. He for looks me, derpy I guess. rather than scary right yeah but then he gets scary though like that looked like a 15 million dollar movie to me <laughs> you know like i think the cgi didn't help in that one either oh interesting see i liked the cg the atomic breath is incredible i thought in shin, in shin godzilla yeah. yeah yeah atomic breath is good it's incredible the way it like starts up with like this belch of smoke and then flame and then it like narrows into purple flame he's just like beyond yeah and he's just devastating the entire city i thought that was insane i, I kind of agree with you derek in that i don't love the shin tadpole godzilla so much at first <laughs> yeah. i thought it was a completely different monster yeah, i thought i was like oh is godzilla gonna come kill this creature with for us yeah that's what i thought because sometimes they do do that right where there's multiple monsters in the movie i was like oh maybe this is the guy before godzilla no that's just nah, like dude. his like larval form you guys gotta get on board with freaky little guys I, I, do, stuff is awesome. <laughs> I, I do appreciate how weird he is but i do think that it's probably just the googly eyes like that just makes him goofy rather than scary yeah, I love it. I love it. But I do like the evolution, and I do like the final scary form with, like, the fissured flesh and, like, all the blood coming out. And, of course, all the atomic powers are at a height you've never seen in these movies before. The blood aspect was cool. Like, I think it's, like, we're in the very first shots. We see, like, a highway tunnel implode, and, like, all this blood just streams into the tunnel. I thought that was a really cool effect. But if we want to talk about atomic breath, I loved the atomic breath in minus one like yeah I, it's so good but more than shin dude when his spine is it's like popping out to charge popping up out yeah to charge it's up cool. and, it, and it it's, cool. it's like really riding cool. up to his head and when he releases it they all come back down i think that is so cool that is a design i can get behind i thought that was really cool and the fact that his breath once he actually does shoot it very analogous to an atomic bomb, right? Creates like a mushroom cloud, more destructive in nature because of the sheer force of it, right? Blowing buildings down, like blowing people away. I thought that was such a cool design for this movie. 
Yeah, it's so powerful, it chars his own face. Yeah. He gets damaged from using it. I would give minus one the edge over Shin Godzilla with atomic breath, even though I like them really? both. Really? Wow. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's the one thing I give Shin Godzilla the edge <laughs> Oh, really? The atomic breath? Yeah, okay, cool, cool. I like the Shin Godzilla atomic breath. I think I it's love them both. incredible spectacle. Yeah, they are both cool. I'm not saying I hate the minus one breath. The minus one atomic breath is really cool too, but I, I give Shin Godzilla the edge on the creature design and the atomic breath. And that's probably about it. I love the rest of Minus One. <laughs> oh, and then like the aftermath in Minus One where, you know, Shikishima's like in Ginza and like the black radioactive rain is coming down and he's like watching in horror. Yeah. Oh, it was so good. I mean, there is something to be said about the two cities I think they decide to focus on on this movie. Tokyo being like the capital of Japan and then Ginza. If you've ever been to Japan, Ginza is a very profitable area of the Tokyo prefecture. So he comes home to Tokyo and it's just in ruins, right? And it looks like Godzilla had already attacked before he did. And then when you see Ginza in the aftermath of his attack, it looks similar, you know, literally like a bomb went off there. But then to think about those two areas of Japan now, like biggest cities and profitable areas of Japan. So I thought that was really unique and interesting subtext to this movie. Do you want to talk about the fascist anti-fascism, Jeff? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, obviously this movie is like an anti-war movie. The Japanese government is portrayed as completely worthless. They don't do anything. Even in the end, it's the civilian boats that come in and Mm -hmm. rescue everyone. You know, I think... The main thrust is clearly this anti-war perspective, clearly against dying for your own country. But some people have made the point where, you know, this is also a movie about repurposing the weapons that you lost World War II with to give them purpose again. And I think that's just a byproduct of the story. And I don't think it's the main intent. And I think that's an uncharitable reading of this movie, where people are saying it's uh, reclaiming the valor after the shame of defeat, which I don't think is the main thrust of the movie at all. That's why I like this second half so much. What do you mean? I like that aspect, like because that's exactly how I read it. This group of people that are coming together for a good reason, you know, rather than some government telling you you have to go to war to defend your country. Like it's this band of brothers that are coming together and using their resources to defeat Godzilla, right? Like they're defending their nation. One of my favorite scenes is that scene where they all are deciding, like, are they going to do this? Who is going to help take down Godzilla? And it's volunteer, right? So yeah, the guys like they're all leave. volunteering their lives. No, I agree with you, Derek. I think that's the strength of the movie where, you know, oh, it's okay. choosing to fight for life. Right. Yes, where yes, I think people yes. who are saying their fascist undertones is saying, like, oh, you're using the weapons that you lost the war with to reclaim some of that glory in this new fight, right? Because you guys lost the war. Like, you're using the leftover warships, and you're using that experimental plane, you know, to fight against Godzilla, and it's a revisionist way of, I don't know, reclaiming the valor that you lost from losing World War II, which I think is just a byproduct of this anti-war story. I mean, it's jingoistic, but in a way that's fighting for life, fighting for living, right? Instead of against, like, a, a human enemy. You know what I mean? I guess I thought you were going down in totally different no, directions. No, 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 so, yeah, no, so no, I, I think I, I totally think we're, agree. Yeah, we yeah. are like on the yeah. same page on that. We're yeah. on the same page. We didn't even talk about Noriko's death, which I thought was heartbreaking. Quote unquote death. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought it was brutal and super duper effective, right? I thought that was great. That whole attack on Ginza is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. 
because it starts from her perspective and that shot of Godzilla reflected in the window as Noriko's looking out. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Like the blocking and the cinematography is just so good in that scene. It's so scary. Ah, oh, man, I had another point I want to touch on. Oh, yeah, like you were talking about the anti war theme and how those points are hammered home over and over again. And there was like Shikishima, like the letter from his parents who were like, come back safe. And then Noriko's parents told her the same thing before they died. Even the mechanic who initially was like guilt tripping him in the end kind of came around, right? So Tachibana was like the only other survivor of the Odo Island Godzilla attack, right? Before Godzilla was mutated. And initially he had kind of guilt tripped Shikishima and blamed him for this attack, his cowardice in not manning the gun. But and towards the end of the movie, they need to hunt him down and find him so he can modify the, the plane. Repair the plane. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. only one who can like repair this plane that they're going to use as part of the attack. And in the end, Shikishima's initial plan is to sacrifice himself to finally make good on his failed kamikaze run, redeem his cowardice by uh, dying. He publicly tells everyone that the plan is to use the guns on the plane to like lure Godzilla into a trap. But what he really plans to do is to fly the plane full of explosives into its mouth and detonate, kill himself save everybody that way. And so Tachibana agrees to this. He agrees to secretly put bombs into this plane. He agrees with this plan. And so you're led to believe that they've both kind of signed this pact for Shikishima's suicide. And they make a point of showing this red lever that Shikishima has to pull in order to activate the bombs. And I had thought maybe that Tachibana had hidden an ejector seat button yeah, in that I lever. Yeah, I Right? But in fact, it's something that the movie kind of plays a little trick on you. It goes back and it shows you in flashback. It shows you they discuss beforehand, hey, there's an ejection lever here on this. You know, so once you've crashed the plane, try and eject and see if you can live. And so I just thought that was super, super powerful because like the whole theme of the movie is how it's not good to kill yourself for these military causes, right? And so it totally would have undermined itself if that had been the ending. And also, it gives Shikishima the choice. He makes the choice to do that. Right? It's not just a gotcha from Tachibana, like, oh, trying to save his life, like, as a surprise. He chooses to live. Yeah, yeah. He chooses to live, which is way better. Yeah, absolutely. That works way better. Absolutely. And also, it shows Tachibana's growth, too, and that he's also forgiven Shikishima, and he's also chosen to choose. Learn to forgive him. him. Yeah. 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 So it was really, really good. Really powerful, yeah. I think one of my criticisms of this movie then would be I think it shows its cards a little too much at the end with the guy coming to his house to give him a letter oh okay so noriko's still alive like i knew right then i was like oh noriko's still alive me too but i don't think that's bad i think that adds to the tension because then you're like yeah but is he gonna kill himself not knowing that his wife is still alive well one not his wife uh (laughs) you know what i mean i know and then two in my mind it was also trying to hide the fact that his plane had an ejector seat. It doesn't do it very well. There's a point where Tachiban is like, hey, I need to show you something. And then there's no audible dialogue. And at that point, I was like, oh, so he put an ejector seat in the plane and he's going to save himself. Like, I think the movie would have been better suited if we just got to see that scene from the beginning. So we as an audience are very clear that he has a choice and he makes that choice, right? Rather than to be... Then surprise, you know, if anyone didn't know, it's like, oh, there was an ejector seat the whole time. And going back to the Noriko point, that was a very telltale sign to the audience. Oh, Noriko's alive. Don't kill yourself, Koichi. You have something to live for. 
other than Akiko. I would have liked to have known that he made the choice for himself and Akiko. He did. He does. But the audience knows that he's doing it for something else when the character doesn't even know it. Why do we need to know it? I think it's to build that tension of, is he going to do it? Now the stakes are even higher, right? And now it's even more sad if he does kill himself, right? It's like false stakes, right? In my mind. Like I said, the character doesn't even know. I think I get what you mean, but I think maybe I'm dumb and I didn't pick up that the telegram was saying that Noriko was alive. I think maybe you guys... Okay, yeah, that I picked up on, yeah. Because it's like, what else could it be? Telling us that Noriko's alive and then having Shikishima choose to live even when he has really no reason to other than Akiko, I think it makes it even stronger that we know that Noriko's alive. And... When Tachibana's doing the dialogueless, you know, he's like, oh, I got to show you something. I didn't think that was going to be an ejector seat either. That didn't even occur to me. I thought he was like, oh, look how big this bomb is. I put it here. <laughs> Check out this bomb I put in here, bro. <laughs> I'm ready to help you die. <laughs> so that got me too. You know? Yeah, I don't know. I guess I read both those things very clearly to my own detriment, I guess. And I think you are supposed to read that. I think I just didn't pick up on it where both of you guys did but even if i did i don't think i would have had a problem with it and i think this movie is trying to do a lot it's got the kamikaze pts thing it's got this found family thing it's got this deserter thing it's got this band of brothers anti-war thing there's a lot going on i know you guys mentioned like tachibana forgiving him and like wanting him to live at the end i feel like that could have been a whole movie in itself that was so fascinating to me these two people the beginning of the movie having these opposing ideas and they somehow come together at the end but like it's not really explained it's not really touched on right like at the end you know tachiban has forgiven him because he puts the ejector seat in there right or he tells them about the ejector seat all these things are there but i do kind of wish some of these things were like more flushed out oh i didn't get that at all i didn't think anything was really under cooked nothing was like oh we need to spend more time with these people i think everything just came together quite nicely and like cohesively as a whole even though there are a lot of different threads and but they all felt unified to me i feel like it all worked together you know what i mean but i can see why you would think that we could get more development on some of these characters but i like the supporting cast i like the scientist guy Mm -hmm. putting together the plan to depressurize Godzilla and then repressurize him. Yeah. I don't know how, like, that actually would have worked, but it clearly didn't because Shikishima in the end had to fly his plane into Godzilla's mouth, but... Oh, yeah, it was a cool plan, though. It's, like, a cool idea. It was a cool plan. Again, I like the kid, right? The kid who hasn't seen any war, who's really eager to fight. He's the one who leads the charge with the civilian boats, right? The fisherman boats. I thought that was really cool. Like, it really reminded me of Dunkirk, right? Like, all the, like, civilian boats. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. And with the kid, the movie slams the thesis home again, right? Literally, a character says, not having been to war is something to be proud of. Yeah. Like, you couldn't make it any more clear. And then he's the one who rescues everyone. He's the one with the civilian fleet. I love the score to this movie when they play the 1954 theme, when all the boats come and when Godzilla appears. Ooh, I get goosebumps. It's so good. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you guys wanted to bring up? No, I think that was it. I was really surprised by this movie and how well it put everything together. A big monster movie that, you know, got the human element right. I was really impressed by this and I got to make room on my top 10 for this. So I'm excited to see where it places for each of you guys. (laughs) 
Yeah, I thought this was really good too. Blown away by it. Very pleasantly surprised. Really touching movie. Really strong anti-war themes. I mean, really, really, really enjoyed it a lot. It's really interesting, I think, where this is in the year too, right? Like a movie like this, I could have easily seen come out in the summer. You know, people would have been swarming to see like blockbuster like this versus, you know, you don't typically think of giant monsters and with like action coming out in, you know, December. Not really the month for a movie like this. And a movie of this caliber that has something to say too, right? I was really impressed by that. And it followed through. You know, there's so many different little things where it could have gone wrong and they made the wrong choice, but they made the right choice at every point, at every turning point, I think. Like you said, Amir, like when they're installing the ejector, it would have been more narratively satisfying for it to be a surprise to both us and Shikishima. But to put the choice in his hands is, like, so important, I think, to the movie. Yeah, And I'm glad they committed to that. As much as I feel like, like I said, I probably enjoyed it the least, I still really enjoyed this movie. I think it's a super fun movie. I can still recommend this, I think, for anyone. This was a blast at the theaters. I want to see this again in IMAX. I just want to see that atomic breath again. Yeah. Definitely my favorite part of the movie. That was so good that they put it in the trailer. That was like the main point of the trailer where like the fins come. I know, you, Derek, you don't watch trailers, but the fins come up to charge up the atomic breath. It's so cool. Just that language works really well at the end. Yeah. We see him what charging <laughs> up, right? This is it. Either everyone's going to die or something's going to come save them. And, you know, it's Koichi. The visual language of that I thought was really strong. All right. Well, I think that will conclude this week's episode. Jeff, where can people find more of your work? You can find me on my blog at strangeharbors.com. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at strangeharbors. What about you guys? Uh, you can find me putting ejection levers in all the kamikaze planes. What about you, Derek? You can find me at the world's okayest photos on Instagram. If you like this podcast, the easiest way to support our show is to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple, Spotify, Google, or any of the other popular apps. If you're listening to us on Apple or Spotify, please do us a favor and give us a great rating. It really helps to get our voices out to more people. Yeah, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions on our episode on Godzilla Minus One, feel free to shoot us an email at jeff at strangeharbors.com. We like getting listener mail. Sometimes we read it out on the pod. With that, we'll see you guys next week. See you next week, everybody. See you guys then.